Welcome to the Dearly Discarded Podcast, where we tell the true stories of the vaccine injured that many don't want to hear. These are real people sharing real experiences, uncensored and unsanitized. Listen and learn with us as we tell the stories that have yet to be heard by those who've been discarded. No preaching, no propaganda, and no judgments, just the truth. Welcome to the Dearly Discarded Podcast. I am so excited to bring these stories to you. I have had a an amazing opportunity to get to know several people who have been closely impacted, whether in as individuals themselves or family members of people who have been injured due to the COVID-19 vaccines. And these stories need to be heard, and that's what this podcast is all about. I'd like to introduce my guests uh, to you. We're going to be speaking primarily with Andre Cherry, and we'll also potentially hear from his brother Christian and his mother Judith during this conversation. Welcome all of you to the Dearly Discarded podcast. Thank Thanks you for having us. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Andre, let me just start out by asking you if um, to tell me a little bit about, well, first off, give us your age and uh, a, a little bit about yourself. All right. So I'm 22 years old. I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, before I was vaccinated, I was a full-time college student. I played the piano. Uh, I was an, a published author, an artist, uh, an active member in my church. And a lot of that has really been uh, stymied for me because of the effects of the vaccine. I took it, uh, the I took Moderna's vaccine in June of this past year, and starting two hours after the injection, I started experiencing tremors in my left arm where I was injected, and then in both of my arms. Within a matter of days, I was experiencing tremors in all four of my limbs, and over the past nine months, I've experienced a range of neurological symptoms besides the tremors, such as uh, flaccidity, where things just go limp and I can't control them at all, can't support my head or my arms or my legs or my torso. Uh, there's rigidity, where like it, the muscles are completely flexed, there are spasms, uh, and a bunch of other things. And it's, uh, it's impacted my ability to walk, I can't go out and get a job. I can't rely, I can't carry things anymore. Uh, lifting heavy things or performing repetitive motions can trigger my symptoms. Uh, my eyes can shut tight or in my mouth. Like right now it's, it's contorted to the side, uh, which affects my ability to speak. So I can't, it, it, it's uh, hampered my ability to perform mostly, me, me, most things by myself or without supervision. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's been a very difficult and frustrating thing to be experiencing slowly losing control of your body. Yeah, I can only imagine. Let me ask you this. Was it just the first shot then, not the second shot uh, when you started experiencing this? It was after the second shot that I started After the second shot. The okay. Yes. Any issues with the first shot at all that you noticed? Not that I recall, no. Interesting. And when were uh, you injected with that second Moderna shot? Uh, June 23rd, 2021. June, June 23rd. Okay. Yes. So you're about, what, nine months into this, uh, roughly. Yes. And uh, how have your symptoms shifted since then? Are, are you seeing improvement? Have they stayed steady? What What's that been like? So they've been, my symptoms have been changing over time, uh, evolving for the worse. Uh, kind of an accruing of the different neurological symptoms that I listed earlier. At first, it was just the tremors. Then it was like tremors and uh, like the rigidity, tremors, rigidity, spasms, tremors, rigidity, spasms, flaccidity. So today was a really bad day for me, for instance. Uh, I experienced a number of things. I fell a couple of times because my legs gave out. They went limp from under me while I was walking. Uh, my torso went limp. My arms were swinging around everywhere because the uh, muscles that in my arms, my traps, biceps, triceps, and whatnot were contracting strongly, <coughs> excuse me, and swinging my arms around. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's been 
evolved, my condition has been evolving for the worse, uh, so far at least. Have you found anything so far that has helped to ease any of these symptoms? No, uh, I've been attending physical therapy and occupational therapy for a time, and we found that heat, applying heat, cold, or pressure during my during my episodes makes exacerbates my symptoms. Basically, uh, if hmm. say my leg is stuck straight, my my quadricep is flexing and it's it's just stuck straight. If you try to push the bottom half of my leg so that it's bending again, it it it, it either makes my leg shake, tremor, kick around, or just want to be more straight, more rigid. So, it uh, okay. Uh, also, my neurologist recently, uh, one of several that I've seen, has prescribed me with a muscle relaxant, and we found that it hasn't been working. Uh, in an emergency room uh, visit, very early on in this process, I was also given a mux- muscle relaxant, Flexeril, I think, and it also had no effect. So, the only thing that I can really do is just wait it out. Wait, wait out until my episodes, uh, my symptoms subside. When uh, you first started experiencing symptoms, you said it happened almost immediately uh, after your second shot. So did you immediately assume that there was something going on with the vaccine itself? I did not. What, what uh, were your thoughts at that at that time? We I, we were just confused, my, myself and my family. Uh, after a couple of days, we went to the emergency room and uh, the medical personnel there suspected that I had uh, contracted rhabdomyolysis. It's a disease where your, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, your muscle fibers break down and enter into your bloodstream. They can affect your kidneys and can untreated can kill you. So they tested my blood. that uh, came back negative for rhabdomyolysis. They concluded that I must have been dehydrated and discharged me. My arms at that point had been tremoring for 10, 12 hours. At that point, they... They finally subsided around 10 o'clock midnight in the in the emergency room. They discharged me and told me to uh, drink, to, to stay hydrated, drink electrolyte water perhaps. And we stocked up on electrolyte water, was drinking it a lot. I, and I personally tried to make an effort to stay hydrated daily because, you know, it's just healthy. Your body runs right. on water. You need water for it to be healthy. So I was a little perplexed at the notion that it was the de- that it was dehydration or also uh, muscle fatigue they told me to take a rest for a couple days and I, I was just curious at, at that conclusion but they subsided and my and the tremors were not only happening in my arms but then in the next couple of days my legs as well <clears throat> so okay so to explain a little bit about what the process was at that point in terms of seeking medical help what what did you try to, to do post emergency room? Okay, so, and my family can chime in on this. They're, they've been religiously keeping the uh, timeline together, you know? It's Absolutely. good to have support in a position yes. you're in, for sure. So, um, this is his mom, and we were just trying to figure out what it was because, like he said, we we hydrated him, He was and he was already hydrated but because the labs didn't come back showing anything. So he was really well hydrated. We kept him that way, but his symptoms continued to progress um, to now include his legs. And it got to the point where he couldn't really walk. Um, and we kept trying to think, well, what happened in this time frame? What was it? And the closest thing that happened to the initiation of his initial symptoms was him getting that second dose. Um, and so, you know, proximity to that made us think that it could be related to the vaccine. There was nothing else. I mean, he was, he's not a sick kid. He has asthma, um, but it's well controlled. And um, he had been traveling and doing a variety of things um, all summer long. And the only thing that seemed to have been out of the ordinary was the fact that he had the vaccine, that second dose. Um, So, once we thought that, we brought that to the attention of the doctors. Um, and, you know, it was not received. So 
we took him to we we did another televisit, took him to the doctor's office. They did CT scans um, and suggested we see a neurologist, which we did. Yes. So when you say was not received, what was their response? Um, you know, uh, if you if there is a suspicion that something could be related to the vaccine, you don't have to prove it. But if you think it is, you're supposed to report it um, to VAERS um, mm-hmm. so that they can make record of it and follow follow up with it. Um, we called Moderna. Um, they kind of, uh, you know, were dismissive, told us that we might hear from someone. And we had never gone through this before, so we thought, okay, that must be what they do. The doctor's office said that um, that that theirs is not something that they were familiar with, which should not be the case. They're giving vaccines all the time, and so they didn't want to report it. Um, so we did. We reported it. We Andre um, and I reported it, and um, we also, like I said, we had contacted uh, Moderna, and we placed the VAERS report online and never heard anything back from them other than the receipt. For those listening uh, that aren't aware, VAERS is V-A-E-R-S. It's the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. And it's been around for a long time, since the 80s, uh, for any type of suspected, as you said, suspected vaccine reaction that someone could have, whether it be the flu shot or the MMR or whatever. Uh, The VAERS numbers with the COVID vaccine have been astronomically high. Uh, But yeah, it's I, I wish I could say it was shocking that your doctor didn't even know what VAERS was, but uh, I've heard that more than once, unfortunately. So you then filed the report with VAERS. Uh, you contacted Moderna. Is it safe to assume you did not hear back from Moderna? We The first time we did not, but then his symptoms kept progressing and we reached back out to Moderna. And um, again, we got the well, you know, we, we might, you might hear from someone. And, and I just, I had a, an episode of um, clarity where I wanted to clarify for them that I, I've been a nurse, I'm a registered nurse, I've been a nurse for mm. over 30 years, that they were not doing their due diligence. If they're going to provide a vaccine um, and people have or possibly have a reaction there should be some follow-up afforded us. So they put me on hold and he talked to a supervisor, I guess, and came back and said that he would um, make sure that Andre's information got forwarded. Now, they did forward it. And, and what that required was that, or what that entailed was that they sent us a form to be filled out and we have to list a doctor. We've had that form for several months and we still don't have a doctor who's willing to follow my case. To well, we have we just saw a new doctor who's who said we could see her again in three months, but we don't have a doctor who's willing to say that this could potentially be related to the vaccine. Um, and so, as a result of that, we don't have um, the ability to send back that form because they want a doctor they can talk to. And so, it's unfortunate because the FDA is not reporting to doctors, medical professionals, the symptoms that people are reporting in great numbers, the neurologic issues. And so if you don't fit into a particular bucket, they, they're they dismissing it. And it's really sad. It, it's, yeah, you said unfortunate. It uh, goes deeper than that for sure. <laughs> so... Let me ask this, uh, as far as right now, basically what you've got going on is you've got nobody willing to admit that the vaccine was the cause of this, it sounds like. Um, You've made the determination that that's the only thing that makes sense. Is that essentially where you're at? Well, yeah, I'm interested in, and I think Andre is too, Mm -hmm. we're interested in just finding out what the issue is. Um, but if you're not, if you're just going to say that it's not that, and it's just functional movement issues, so there's, there's no, 
Or anxiety. Or, so. yeah, the functional movement issues possibly related to um, stress or anxiety. But that's the only thing that they would really check for for the most part. Right. So that's basically what they want to check for. We had to fight for every test that we've gotten for him. Even and, for a lumbar puncture. Yeah, we had to fight for mm. everything. That's, that's Christian. And um, because we don't know a lot about the vaccine, we don't know all of the impact that it has on the systems. And it would, it seem, would seem to me that it would be worthy of trying to find out what the answer is. I mean, when this happened, he was only 21 years old. And he right. had a great life ahead of him. And now, you know, we still have hope, but his life is in a holding pattern. He had just transferred to a, um, a four-year university to finish out his bachelor's in English. And... Um, after the first uh, Moderna vaccine, Andre and I both, this is Christian, by the way, um, we had gone up to Connecticut to go see our friend off because they're going overseas. We uh, ran around. We tried, uh, what was it? Uh, what food? Do we, we tried a clams or something like that? Yeah, there's a, they had a seafood lake. Yeah. And uh, clams, oysters, stuff that we, that we don't really feast on in Philly, typically. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we had a ball. It wasn't cheesesteaks, yeah. huh? <laughs> Basically, that's about it. But you know, we went up there. We had a ball, came back, and um, trying to make sure we're being good citizens and uh, protecting our families and stuff, as they say. Right. Went out and got the vaccine. I got mine like what ten minutes after his. Mm -hmm. I have no problems. You know, no problems whatsoever. Same facility. And well, how old are you, Christian? Uh, currently, I'm 20. By the time I was 19. Okay, so you're the younger brother. Yes. And and no symptoms at all from either shot with you? None. Okay. And so I'm going to ask, uh, Andre, your your head movements and things like that, this is involuntary, what what we're witnessing here? Yes, it's completely involuntary. His legs are shaking okay. as well. Yes. Just yeah, I can, I can see a lot of vibrating going on <clears throat> from down there. And this is pretty typical of some of the symptoms that you experience? Yes, he can have, he has multiple, uh, we call, you know, episodes throughout the day. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes they're very long. Um, I think the longest period of time where he had only control over his mouth and his eyes, the rest of his body was, was, was flaccid, um, mm. was six and a half hours. And wow. um, it's, it's pretty scary <coughs> when it Jesus. happens. Oh, yeah. Um, so we, we've had to... Move him to the first floor because he's not safe on steps. He's in a hospital bed now. Yeah, he's in a hospital mm -hmm. bed. Um, we have a wheelchair for the house and a wheelchair in the car because we can't go anyplace without the wheelchair. And we have straps for both of the wheelchairs to make sure he sits up straight if he starts to have a flaccid uh, episode. Yeah, because if he loses control of his ability to hold his head up, we put a brace around his neck so that he's not compromising his airway. And if he can't, neck yeah, and if backwards. we, right, and if we can't, if he can't hold himself upright, we have a harness that holds him into the chair um, so that his body won't just fall forward. Um, we've had a few pretty scary episodes where um, his body will just start jerking all over the place and he's thrown himself basically out of the wheelchair. Yeah. Um, and so it's, you yeah, know, on two yeah. occasions that ended up with a. Uh... At least one occasion I remember very clearly uh, when he was throwing himself out of the wheelchair involuntarily, the uh, harness we had attached to him started choking him and I had to quickly intervene to make sure that he didn't... Um, asphyxiate. Yeah, asphyxiate. Yeah. And this has become not necessarily that, but the, the extreme ridiculous level of his symptoms has become a unfortunate norm for us to deal with. And uh, still... It has been difficult for, to even get doctors to look at videos of him. Uh, I remember for one of the appointments that we went to, essentially ended up being a bogey appointment because we went there to go see a, uh, what is it? Movement specialist. A movement specialist, but then we ended up with a neurosurgeon. And then the neurosurgeon started talking about all of his degrees and a bunch of nonsense and saying that uh, he couldn't help us. And when we tried to show him uh, the videos, because we have several gigabytes of recorded uh, symptoms primarily at his uh, physical therapy where his physical therapist is also feeling his muscles and commenting and his response to his, and his response to us trying to show him those videos 
is that he doesn't want to argue. Yeah. He doesn't want to argue? Yeah, yes. and nobody was arguing. No one was arguing. We're and, just like, we, yeah. we want you to look at this stuff so we so you can see the severity of this circumstance. Because it's intermittent, you could see him and he'd look completely, you know, mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Now he can't open his mouth. Can you open your mouth? Mm-mm. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, so... if. Boy, you're uh, giving me a lot of things to ask questions about here. <laughs> um, all right. So then with the situation on in terms of your history as a nurse, Judith, you said 30 years you were were or are still a practicing nurse. Is that right? Yes, I, I, I work in um, corporate nursing now, but I started corporate off. Nursing. Yeah, I started off in the ICCU, then worked in um, the operating room, then did utilization management, and then I'm a certified case manager. And so now I'm a nurse manager. Let me ask you this. It, it, would, it, would it be okay with the two of you to get on camera? Can we adjust things maybe a little bit for those watching? I can kind of like lean over the chair. We got <laughs> maybe even if we can just see your face for a second, uh, so people know who they're who they're uh, hearing from. I think that would be useful. Um, and and I don't want to uh, make things uncomfortable for you, but I don't normally. Uh, I haven't I haven't done video podcasting until just uh, just now, so we're still getting used to this. But uh, so then, with your history, you must have a lot of connections in medicine, Judith. Uh, you, none of those have seemed to be of use here. It doesn't sound like, um, I have some connections that are helping us right now that I can't really talk about. Um, okay. and, uh, we're hopeful that we will have some answers perhaps in the next month or so, but, um, I don't have any assurance of that. So, right. um, but I think at this point we've gone through so many different doctors that we finally found a doctor who seems like, um, she is interested. The very first time the movement specialist saw him, um, the, the direction was to follow up with your primary care physician, um, to, uh, pursue, um, some assistance by looking through, um, psychology today. And we were not offered any type of follow-up. No. And as a nurse, I just couldn't understand that. That, you know, we're seeking specialty care or, or at least intervention. There were no studies ordered. Um, there was no blood work offered. Um, and the, the response was, well, you don't really fit anything that would be neurologic, so it must all be functional. And when we said that, you know, what about the possible effect of the vaccine, the comment was, well, the vaccine could have precipitated something, but that was as far as it went. And no, they weren't interested in reporting to theirs. Um, they, they just felt like that's something that his primary care physician should do. So we went back to the primary care and they were like, well, we can't really help. This is, this is a neurologic, you know, it seems to be. And you need to follow up with them. So we tried the new neurologist. Um, they said, well, we're, I'm a generalist. You need to see a specialist. We tried for three months to get in with the specialist. And then that's what Christian was talking about. They ended up uh, telling us we were seeing a movement specialist, but gave us a neurosurgeon who immediately upon seeing us told us that he couldn't help because he didn't need surgery. So, Good and then they were grief. promised follow-ups and things like that that just never occurred. Yes. So we continued to pursue things. Um, they made a recommendation for a, a neuropsyche valve. Um, we had that done and uh, they found mild anxiety, um, but that was it. Uh, and then uh, we were told that we should seek uh, psychotherapy, which we did. and. Um, they told us that any stress or anxiety was kind of commensurate with eight months of going through this and that they didn't find anything causative. Um, so, um, we also were told that we should try cognitive behavioral, um, therapy. therapy. Yeah. therapy. And mm-hmm. we called five different places, describe what was happening with Andre. And they all said that that was not appropriate and that they could, they couldn't help him. Um, so we went back to see a neurologist. And um, so this one has ordered an MRI, so we're waiting to get the approval for that, mm-hmm. and um, some lab work. So I'm hopeful 
that we might be able to find something. So she's going to scream for autoimmune. Um, sometimes his arms sling. I want to be careful. Yeah. <laughs> I hit him a couple you, of times earlier really today. If you, yeah. If, if, you need, if you need to keep your distance, I understand. <laughs> I, I know you're. I've got you kneeling on the floor there. So if you want to take your seat again, that'll be fine. Um, okay. So then the first question about all that, that you just shared, Judith, because I'm pretty fascinated by this. Would you say that the handling of this has been very different from what would be typical of your experience as a nurse in other situations? I say it's typical of people that I'm meeting now that are in our support group, but atypical if you're going to, um, receive care. I mean, you would try and get a differential diagnosis. We were never offered that. We were told that it's not that, so it has to be this. And he was told that he must be stressed and um, anxious. Yes. And, you know, that hasn't been shown to be true. I mean, he said he wasn't. Everybody has a level of that. But as far as that causing the situation, I, I just found that to be very dismissive and... Um, you know, we've had doctors turn their head when he started having symptoms as if they didn't want to see. Yeah, he started having problems, so he couldn't get up out of one of his neurology appointments. And um, so they called me in to uh, pick him up. And um, as I was going in, the, um, the attending physician just was turning away. And uh, that kind of attitude was reflected in a lot of other ways as yeah. well. We were told, I'm sorry for your affliction. Isn't that what the Yes, I'm yeah. sorry for your affliction. Yeah, that was kind of what we got. And when we would ask questions about, um, I guess, how the vaccine worked to one of the neurologists, well, to the uh, neurosurgeon who we were uh, given, just to understand if there could be any kind of connection between his presentation and what could be going on with the vaccine, the response that was given to us was, is that we don't know how aspirin works. So, so lots of non sequiturs and um, just weirdness. Yeah, very, very weird. Christian, can I ask you, how has this impacted you? A lot. Um, he's my older brother and uh, love the guy to death and beyond. And uh, ever since we were young, hanging tough, being able to go around and do stuff, uh, he, he used to be able to, like, outpace me sprinting for the bus every single time he would win, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I miss that. I miss having people to, like, you know, just hang around with and not have to be concerned about his safety. Like, I sit downstairs, and when he goes into the bathroom... Sometimes I was just sitting there preparing myself for the day he falls over and hits his head on the thing. And I have to go up there and there's blood all over the place and I have to sit there and act correctly and get it done. You know, get him out of there. And he's like a 260-pound guy. I'm like... 230. Yes. My bad. 230. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a 230-pound man. you gained weight since this started, Andre? Yeah, he lost, lost some it. weight. He lost, <laughs> yeah. yeah. On the other hand, I, I've gained some weight probably from picking him up so daggone much. But, you know... I have to go with him to all of his appointments. I'm glad to be there with him. But the difficulty is that it's extremely stressful. And that stress takes out a lot of my energy. And I have to be concerned about him. And that doesn't make either of us feel good because he wants to be independent. I want him sure. to be independent for his own sake. And um, it's infuriating that we are. It's, it does not seem that we're getting the care that is necessary or even at times the bare minimum. For example, when we went to go get a lumbar puncture, there, were, there was all this obfuscation going around about how the neurologist didn't know what to order and how this could be so expensive and how it's dangerous. But according to um, other doctors, drawing, getting a lumbar puncture is like drawing blood for like a... Neurologist. Is, is like drawing blood for a neurologist. It's extremely simple. Pretty basic. It is dangerous. I mean, it's dangerous, yes. Effects. Yes, you can. But he was, yeah. it seemed as though, at least from my perspective and generally among us, that it was being hyped up in a way that was not necessary and was potentially meant to get us to not move forward with it. Additionally, for his MRI, in uh, some of the documentation that we received after um, some of his appointments, it was recommended that he not get an MRI. And even for the lumbar puncture he got, and obviously he's an he's an unusual circumstance, he got a bare minimum lumbar puncture. 
mean what he means by that yeah. is that you can get a routine um, survey of what the spinal fluid has, or you can be uh, more specific. And the neurologist told us that um, he didn't know what to order. So he I gave. Mean, so I mean, well, I don't know. Right. He he just he just did a routine. Um, we were told later that there might be another opportunity to do it. Um, but you don't, you know, there's there's definitely some risks getting a lumbar puncture. So you don't want to just do it willy nilly. But right, it's unfortunate that we didn't have um, anything but a routine study done um, because this is not a normal circumstance. Nobody has ever had MNR, sorry, mRNA um, vaccines before, and right. the effect on the body is not something that is fully understood. Um, and you know. Clearly, all of us have had the vaccine, so we're not mm -hmm. um, against getting vaccines. Um, I'm actually pro-vaccines. However, I do think that if you're starting to see people with symptoms and he's not the only one, that you would try to figure some things out and provide information that might help the medical community do the best that they can. It's their responsibility to do so. Right. So I think that what, what we're experiencing is um, just the fact that they don't know what to do because they don't know what's going on and they aren't being provided with guidance or information that this is, I mean, while it might not be super common, um, there's a lot of people that are suffering with various really obscure kind of um, things that require further investigation. Yes. When did you figure out that there were a lot more people than just Andre who have been affected like this? Once we found out that, um, once we surmised that it was likely the vaccine, um, we started to look around to try and find uh, resources, other people, um, someone who could give us some insight because we weren't getting it anywhere else. And um, TikTok was where you found a lot of people were putting up videos about what was happening with them. They were being taken down um, right. pretty routinely, but that kind of led us on a trail to try to look for resources or support groups or something. And um, we've just been enormously blessed. We have a very strong family um, support. Our church is extremely, extremely supportive um, and, uh, we have really good friends. So, um, and I mean, people want to help. I, we, we were going to get a ramp for his wheelchair. Yes. And when people asked, well, why are you trying to get this ramp? We told them and they just get, just gave it to us. Yeah, it was a hundred dollars plus ramp yeah, for free. And, and it was just, it just, people have just been so gracious to us, um, there are a lot of people out there who really want to help and they just aren't given information. They had no idea that anybody was having any symptoms and they felt horrible because he's so young, you know, and they have kids his age. Like, why would this happen? And why aren't we being right. told about it? And, you know, that kind of thing. And it, I, it, it's really interesting because, unfortunately, I've spoken to uh, others who have experienced injuries from these vaccines that have not had as much support as it sounds like you do. So that is a, yeah. a real blessing in a, in a challenging time. Have you had anybody uh, that has been unsupportive, doesn't believe you, what you're saying, any of that sort of thing? Um, I would say that we've had people who um, believe that there's something going on, but they don't necessarily believe that it's related to the vaccine. Okay. Um, and because everyone on the news is saying that it's really safe and um and clearly it's safe for some people i took it i didn't have any symptoms you know right um, well yeah right and so but it's that does not mean, most people right yeah. yeah so but that doesn't mean i think especially because it's a, a smaller group of people that we should support them i reached out to um our our you know elected officials and all they'll tell us is to do the countermeasures um, which doesn't really offer help. Yeah. And you have to prove that it was the vaccine in order to get any assistance from them. So, um, and 
you know, we get calls from from people wanting to be elected, and I'll, the first thing I'll say is, is what are you going to do for those that are vaccine injured? And if they're like, oh, well, we have the, we, we're recommending that everyone go to the countermeasures, um, you know, site and, and fill, you know, fill that out. And when I say that that's not really helpful, um, they don't know what to say. Another thing. Um, the question you asked was, have we had anyone who had been like directly um, negative in regards to like our trying to get out this message, right? Right. Yeah. That's so. Um, that's what I'm wondering. Andre previously, Andre and I previously did a podcast with an old high school friend, and um, we were sending it around, and um, we had one instance of somebody um, who we didn't know. I was trying to send it over to. Um, it doesn't matter, but uh, we were met with obscenities and uh, what is it? Insults. So mm-hmm. it was. It's definitely not everyone. There are people who we know of who are very supportive of us, and. Um, trying to figure out the truth of the situation, but there are definitely those who are very much uh, oppositional and uh, view people who speak up about this in a very derogatory way. Why do yeah. you think that is? What, what, what are your thoughts on why you'd be met with that type of behavior? Because the, um, the current understanding that's generally pervading society is that if you take the vaccine, you're taking care of your family, you know. You're taking you're, care of society. You're taking care of society. Mm-hmm. And if you don't take the vaccine, you're not. You're a part of the problem. You're a part of the problem. And if you are asking questions about it in a way that may drive people away from uh, following this med- this medical procedure, you may be somebody who is um, detracting from the welfare of society. So ultimately... I think that people care a lot about their neighbors, their grandparents, their friends, their mothers, their daughters, and um, the ability for people to go around and uh, have normal lives. And just like any other complex situation, people are emotional and they can respond in ways that are more indicative of their passionate feelings about what bad could happen than you specifically. So I don't really take it as a personal affront. It just seems more so that they are very much believing that when we are asking these kinds of questions or trying to present his lived experience, they may take that as us trying to dissuade others from doing something that's ultimately good and protecting them. Yeah, I think that's a a, really the right way to look at it. There are... (laughs) One of the things that I've I've said during this whole uh, crisis, if you want to call it that, the entire pandemic time is, you know, we've had two sides to a large degree, people who want to wear masks, people who don't want to wear masks, people who want to get vaccinated, people who don't want to get vaccinated. And the truth of the matter is the people on either side believe that they're right. Yeah. And so trying to convince somebody that they're not right because you're right is a pretty significant uphill battle uh, <laughs> yeah. to fight, right? Yeah. And, and, and really the biggest thing for me and the reason I opted to uh, host this podcast is I have, I believe that the biggest challenge with anybody in your situation getting help is that nobody even knows, I shouldn't say nobody, but a lot of people don't know that there are even people in your situation, right? right? Because things are being pulled off of every social media place that you can imagine, and and these stories aren't being told on the local news or on CNN or Fox News or any of these places. And with that being the case, we, we need another avenue where these stories can be told and where awareness can happen, because if the awareness gets out there, then there will, I believe, be people uh, potentially in the medical community and beyond that will step up and, and help people like yourselves out. So I hope that, you know, what we're doing here is is a step in that direction. I want to ask just a couple of more questions, if that's okay, uh, be- before I let you go. So... One is, have you tried anything um, outside of kind of medicine? You, you've talked about, you know, psychotherapy and and a variety of different types of doctors, things like that. Have you tried natural things, dietary things, vitamins, herbs, that sort of thing? Yeah. So we saw, um, I want to say, a, 
homeopathic. Yeah, homeopathic yeah. practitioner. Okay. And he was taking supplements. Um, I don't know how many were you taking a day. Uh, it was like thirty tablets of various supplements a day. Yeah, 30, 30 plus tablets a yeah. day, and um, I think we didn't see uh, a decrease in his symptoms. Now mm -hmm. we were told that he would probably get worse before he got better um, on the supplements, um, but his uh, his stomach didn't mm -hmm. seem to tolerate all those supplements as well as, you know, we had hoped. Yeah. So gotcha. we, we stopped them. Um, and because he was, he, he lost, what was it like 20, 30 pounds yeah. because he just couldn't tolerate, um, eating. And, um, yeah, that was it, another thing that we forgot to mention earlier. Um, ooh, at, okay. uh, yeah. mm -hmm. all right. at the beginning of all of this, uh, he had a, what, a month span where he was having like severe, gastrointestinal issues okay. along with the um tremors and stuff mm -hmm. right yeah and that played into um the beginning stages when we were uh when we were trying some of the homeopathic uh also that was very early on that you were doing that stuff then yeah so um mm -hmm. integrative medicine has been suggested to us um and we were able to find a practitioner that um uh, does accept insurance because most of them don't and it's all out of pocket. Um, not that it's not worth it, but it's, you know, a lot. Um, it's, it's so still something you have to figure out how to do. Yeah. Right. Right. So in the meantime, we were able to get an appointment. Like I said, he's been seen by a hematologist, um, who, um, is, is, uh, going to be ordering some labs for him. Um, and the new neurologist, um, seems, uh, that she wants to, uh, investigate some other, uh, possibilities. So we're grateful about that. Um, I think we practice gratitude as a, on a regular basis. One, cause we're Christians and two, because it works, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you know, it. because he's, um, he's in a tough spot. You know, yeah. and so we're grateful for um, everything, um, even the opportunity to come on here and, and speak with you okay. um, to share his story because uh, people don't get to see what he goes through um, or understand um, how debilitating it is. Like he can't drive a car, you know, yeah. um, he, he can't. He, there's a lot of things that he can't do and um, cooking. It's a challenge. Oh, yeah. He may be able to walk into the kitchen in the morning if he can get out of bed. Um, but if his arms start doing all these different things or his legs give out, he's not safe in the kitchen. So we really have to uh, be around him um, pretty much all, all the, the time. time. And um, I ca we can't leave him in the house alone. Um, and Eat. once since we moved him downstairs... Um, you know, we, we, we sleep downstairs too yeah, because we don't know he could fall out of bed and not be able to, um, uh, you know, tell anybody. Um, so right. Christian and I just camp out on the first floor too. And we've been doing that for like almost two months now. Yeah. Um, is there I mean, anyone else in the home or is it just the three of you? No, we, I, they have a little sister mm -hmm. and my okay. sister. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. And and Judith, you've you've shared quite a bit, but as as his mother, what's what's this been like for you? Um, it's been really hard. I mean, uh, it's difficult to talk about. I don't. I try not to think about how I feel about it um, because when I do, it becomes uh, very emotional for me. Um, yeah. So. I don't really think about it. I just think about what's the next thing that we have to do. What what is necessary? What you know? Who needs what? And I just keep moving. Um, if I immediately I started like tearing up, I I can't go there. Yeah, yeah. And um, I can't go there. All right. Well, I understand. Um, I, I you know I have a 22 year old son. I have I have. Uh, 
I, I can't imagine being in the position that you're in. And uh, I know that I can't, I can certainly sympathize, but I certainly can't empathize with where you're at. And I'll tell you, I, the strength I'm hearing from the three of you is phenomenal. And, and the, the energy is not what I expected. You know, I didn't know anything about the three of you other than that there was someone with a vaccine injury when we got on this, on this call. And uh, the power and, and strength of your message of gratitude and hope and putting one foot in front of the other and moving to the next possible uh, solution is really inspirational to me. It's, it's beautiful. And to be able to hear you uh, each so calm and collectively just uh, put this message out there and tell this story is, I, I believe it will... It will stir some people uh, to look further into this and um, lend as many helping hands as they can. So I, I greatly appreciate that. The Lord gives us our strength, Jared. Absolutely. If it weren't for him, we all would have fallen apart uh, some time ago. I can <laughs> Let me tell you that. I believe like, you've, you've probably felt like you're falling apart on many occasions uh, during this process. Yeah, uh, we have, you know, a lot of frustration about this, you know, but we don't let that uh, overtake what we're doing, what we're trying to do, and how we're handling the situation. We have a greater hope that that uh, transcends all of this, and that is our guiding light. So well, it's, the strength, the gratitude you see, that's because of the grace and mercy of God. Well, I'm grateful that you have that and that you recognize that and uh, are able to cling on to that because in that, of course, is uh, definitely some strength that uh, is sometimes hard to find within ourselves. So I, I appreciate that message very much I and, and appreciate your time and your willingness to come on and and share this and uh, I I'll let you I'll let you get out of here but let me just ask you if there's anything else that you'd like to share while I've got you here I just want to thank you for the opportunity Jared for yeah. allowing us to share our story and I just want to say that I'm not uh, anti anything except anti uh i am against non-liberty if you understand you know mm. we should be able to we should be free to make our own decisions whatever whether it's for the vaccine or non you know and i don't want what i'm experiencing to have some sort of political bend i just want my story out there so i and others like me can get the help that we are entitled to and that the, the, the my fellow countrymen can just experience the truth. Because that's, that's all that matters to me, the truth. You know, party line one way or the other, I'm not about that. You know, so we are here just to get help and hopefully to secure help for those who need it. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. My Again, you don't know much about me at all, but... That is my ultimate uh, priority with uh, with the time that I spend on this show and my other show, Vitality Radio, is speaking about freedom. Uh, we need freedom, especially when it comes to the things that we put in and on our bodies. And, uh, you know, one person's choice is not right for another person. And uh, being forced into any of these things, in my view, is a uh, horrible mistake. So I appreciate that message very, very much. I would like to, um, I, I could spend another couple hours asking you questions. This is, it's fascinating talking to the three of you. There's so much, I don't know how to describe it. And I hope, you know, I'm here in this, in this, uh, virtual room with you, you know, listening to your story, listening to your message. Uh, none of this has been, you know, pre-arranged or scripted. We talked for what three minutes before we hit record, here, <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> and it's just been beautiful to hear the. the I, can't, I can't describe it any other way than just the energy coming out of the room that you three are in 
is beautiful and it's inspiring and and it's inspiring me to to do more uh, to get this word out and I I'm so grateful that this is the first interview that I have been able to do on the dearly discarded uh, podcast so thank you so much for your time thank you for your desire to get the truth out. I know some people in a position like yours uh, would just as soon shy away and uh, deal with the things that they're dealing with. Um, It takes a little extra oomph to uh, get out there and spread this message, and I greatly appreciate it. Thank Thank you you for having us and for spreading this message. You know, like you said, it takes it takes gumption to do what you're doing as well, especially in the climate we're living in. Definitely. So... Yeah, I've received a few. We're doing without folks like you doing what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I've re- I've received a few more barbs since COVID than I ever did before from people, <laughs> but uh, it's been a fun adventure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, hey, listen, I am here uh, off the air as well. Um, in fact, uh, we'll talk after this. I I'd like to uh, share some ideas with you. We're looking to expand this show into absolutely stories of people who've been injured and their families, but we want to give uh, access to uh, more um, ideas uh, that may help and uh, more things that will provide hope and and uh, things more things in your arsenal to be grateful for. So I'll be in touch on those things as well. Andre, Judith, Christian, uh, I, I think I mentioned the last name at first, but uh, the last name is Cherry. Hey, thank you so much to the three of you. I uh, look forward to speaking with you again very soon. Thank, thank you, Cherry. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Dearly Discarded Podcast. We encourage you to help break through the silence and share this episode with your friends and family. It's time for these stories to not only be told, but to be heard. For more information, head to react19.org and dearlydiscardedpod.com. The Dearly Discarded Podcast is produced by Jared St. Clair and Michaela Hyde with support from React 19. We'll be back next week with another true story from one who lives it. Until then, join us on Team Humanity. Keep an open mind, seek the truth, and share these stories. Most of all, open your mouth. Silence won't change anything. React 19 needs your support. We're a grassroots nonprofit created by the COVID vaccine injured for the COVID vaccine injured. React 19 provides physical support through scientific research and physician referrals, financial support to those most in need for uncovered medical expenses, and emotional support by growing a community that's focused on compassionate advocacy, hope, fellowship, and improving lives. We can only do these things with your support. Your donation is tax deductible and any amount is greatly appreciated. You can also sign up for automatic monthly donations. The vaccine injured have been marginalized, censored, and discarded, but they have not been broken. Help them rise to the challenge today. Visit react19.org for more information or simply text the word REACT to 50155 and donate via text. 